Um, but yeah, just really, really excited to kind of share with with uh, with folks what I'm up to and the different ways we might be able to collaborate moving forward, which is ultimately one of my favorite things to do. Zach Servideo here from Boston Speaks Up. That voice you just heard? Yep, you guessed it. That was me. I am today's guest. I pushed over to the interviewee chair. Galen Moore was kind enough to grace us all with his presence again, this time instead of a guest, as the host. So he hosted today's show, interviewed me. You get a chance to learn a little bit about my new company, Value Creation Labs, and just kind of get to be a fly on the wall for an interesting chat between Zach and Galen. So enjoy, please share your feedback, and have a lovely day. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up. For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators. Learn more at svb.com. All right. What's up, everybody? This is Galen Moore. You're listening to Boston Speaks Up. And today we're going to do things a little differently. We're going to turn the tables. We're going to, the interviewee is going to become the interviewer. And we're going to find out more about the man behind the microphone, Zach Servideo of Value Creation Labs. Zach. Tell us a little about yourself and what you do. Galen Moore. Thank you, sir. Uh, really lovely to have you with me here today. We're doing a little flipperuski. A flipperuski. Yeah, you might call it that. Yeah. Some may call it a flipperuski. So some some in, may use that word. Yeah, some may. Uh, I'm, I'm here in the, I'm in a different chair. I'm in the interviewee chair for Boston Speaks Up. And long time coming. I, I was actually chatting with a, a Recent guest of Boston Speaks Up, Dan Rosignol. Everyone should get excited for the podcast that he'll have coming out soon. But he actually just asked me, hey, I want to launch a podcast, but for my first episode, can you come on and interview me for the podcast? Because I want to introduce myself to my community. I said, Dan, that's a great idea. It took me 76 episodes, but I'm finally going to do that on episode 77. So here we are, episode 77. And I actually have realized it might be advantageous for me to sort of take a step back and let a professional journalist step up and ask some recovering journalists recovering maybe journalist. would be more, yeah. more appropriate. Um, yeah. So I, I, I want to let Galen guide me, but just like little background on, on me, like listeners kind of get snippets of this, you know, it probably have over the last few years. Um, but changes for me have been in the last year, I, launched my most recent uh, venture, Value Creation Labs, sort of my, my entrepreneurial leap into, uh, into consulting on my own, but with an interesting sort of band of, of sort of gypsies behind my back and sort of in support in different ways. Um, and so this is sort of part of this uh, announcement or, or having me on the, on the podcast sort of also tied to just letting the world know about Value Creation Labs, which I'm sure we'll dig into on the episode. A bit, um, but yeah, just really, really excited to kind of share with 
with uh, with folks what I'm up to and the different ways we might be able to collaborate moving forward, which is ultimately one of my favorite things to do. 77 episodes of Boston Speaks Up. Let's talk a little bit about the podcast. Like, when, when did you start this? What have you done? What was your goal? Like, what, what is this podcast? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> this, why, why are people even listening to this? This podcast, it's like, where does it fall? Does it? It's, so, are there more listeners than episodes at am, this point? That's actually yeah. the most important I, question. Yeah, are there more <laughs> listeners than episodes? Am I contributing to the problem of too much thin content in the world? Oh. I don't know. I'd have to leave that to, to listeners to tell me. I think one thing that I've realized after 76 episodes, because this is 77, is the podcast has made a profound impact on a lot of lives, um, which is pretty cool. Like when Dan Rosignal called me today, um, he was born an orphan. Uh, well, he was born, he was birthed by his mother who died during childbirth. He shared okay. all this in the podcast. His dad takes him down the street to an orphanage in Haiti. And he lived in an orphanage for a couple of years before his family in Maine adopted him. I had Dan on the podcast. It was the first time we ever spoke in our lives. And that next week or so, he was up in Maine visiting his parents and he's sitting next to his father on the couch and his dad says to him, hey, we got to talk. I, I realize I don't know a lot about you. I listened to that podcast you did and I feel really bad. Like, I, like we need to start have conversations more. And I think the recurring theme that I've had doing this is guests coming back to me and saying, hey, like, I really just opened up to you in a way I haven't before. And I want to thank you for that. And it's, I'm actually going to share this with a former business partner or my father or my wife or my kid. And it's going to help me in some way. Um, and then some people have had like really interesting, like business benefits from it. Like, um, Clem Caslot, uh, when he was still at Techstars Boston, like he yeah. was on and, you know, we talked a bit after about how, folks that listen to the podcast sort of had, did a better job pitching him yeah. businesses. Uh, Dan does he Re still have the restaurant? He does. He yeah. and his wife still have a, That's a couple of restaurants in town. Yeah. The, uh, Frenchie, right? Yeah. Frenchie. I feel like Frenchie is actually the longest lived restaurant in that space. Probably. Okay, fun story. Like my yeah. Lee, my wife and I met when she was working in a restaurant that used to be in that space called Perdix. Right there. In, yeah. In right there. Bend? Before that it was Truk. Uh, and then after that, it was something else. I forgot. But it's a tough spot because it's small. But they, I, I love that place. I love that restaurant. This I'm glad to hear the, they're still. I'm glad yeah. to see them still doing. Yeah, it. they're doing well. It seems like they're doing well. It yeah. begs the question: How old are you, Galen? Jeez, oh, that's not something how, we're going to get into. Uh, although I don't know if that's I don't know if it's so much a thing about your age or just how the restaurant industry turns over in, in Boston. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's been yeah. it's been right. interesting. You got to measure yeah. things in restaurant years. You know, they're, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Restaurant years. Every couple restaurant of years, years. You know, that's why I thought it was crazy. You know, we might get into a little bit. I don't know if we'll get into this or not, but. I spent a lot of my college years and even after college working at the bars on Boylston Street. And oh, so I would work at, uh, you know, this, this is the kind of stuff I like people. What stretch prefer, Boylston Street? Like, down, by, down by Fenway or like up on uh, so up high, Newbury kind of the high end stretch or the low end stretch? I would say like the low end, like, Ber you know, it was like Berkeley School of Music yeah, Kids, yeah, like yeah, the, sure. like by Heinz Convention Center. Sure, sure, sure. But I worked at the Poor House. The Poor House, like, of course. Obviously, yeah, like yeah. that was just a spot where you know, yeah. that's to me was gone, but not that forgotten. was the, when I came to, to college in Boston, 
whorehouse was like the cheers of Boston, as far as I for, was for concerned. Like, for, for, yeah, for college kids. Yeah. yeah. yeah sure. um, and there was actually quite, there was quite a number. No, it's a good spot. Yeah. Yeah, I no. went back there. I went back there yeah. like right before the pandemic started. Yeah. And I was with a buddy who was visiting from LA and Brenda who served us, I worked with in 2006, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, and like, she's a nurse at like mass general or something. And yeah. well, like, it's just one of those bars too, where yeah, like the people bar. that work there, like they, they, they stuck around because you know, good culture, good vibes. Yeah. It's funny. I used to drink at Bukowski all the time across the way. And it was like, I started, I started drinking there because I like, I'd show up after like a shift as a courier. And, um, and I'd be like, all right, I've been working my ass off all week to like climb out of this debt or whatever (laughs) was going on at the time. And, and, you know, as a courier, you get paid by the piece. And so that kind of thing with a person like me is like, like whatever, I will work myself to death, you know, to get that extra $5 and 50 cents for that next package, you know? And, and, um, yeah, on a Friday, like I'd be like, all right, you know, I know I'm trying to save up, but. One beer. Yeah. And I'd show up there at Bukowski. I'd end up having like a conversation with like whatever, <laughs> somebody like athletic director from some like Big Ten school who was staying at the high, you know, staying at the hotel there to go to a convention at the high. It's, you know, yeah. whoever, right? It was yeah. a, always a, a mix coming in there. So I, I ended up like, oh, that's a good bar. Yeah. 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 But, okay. Yeah. So yeah, the bar scene, <laughs> that was a big part of my DNA. I actually, another, another tangent was just go from one to another. Sure. Yeah. My, like I, so, <laughs> This is going to be the worst episode. This is going to be the worst <laughs> episode and the best. It's going to have like, so, so sometimes episodes will like spike with, you know, thousands of listens. And then sometimes we'll be like five, it'll sit on 500. As for long a while. as there are more listens yeah. than the number yeah. of, of the episode. Yeah. It's good. And, and, and I have a feeling though, this is going to be one that gets listened to a ton, but because people are just going to be making fun of us. <laughs> Listen to uh, these two rooms. <laughs> but my, it was interesting though, but like, yeah, so we have a lot of young listeners and I, I feel like this is like the narcissist in me. I feel like coming into the professional world in like the mid 2000s was tough from a identity standpoint uh-huh. because I Facebook started when I was a like yeah. freshman sophomore of college. So I remember the girl down the hall from me in the dorm that set up my Facebook account sophomore year. So like I had yeah. had Facebook for three years. I get a job at Schwartz Communications on one weekend. And one of the first things they told us was to create a new Facebook account. And they wanted me they were like, yeah, you need a professional Facebook account. And I remember being like the Cavalier 22 year old that was like needed the fucking job because I was making 30 grand a year and I just bought a Volkswagen Passat for 16,000. And I was like, I'm betting on myself. <laughs> and so I clearly shouldn't speak out, but I just sort of raised my hand and I was like, um, I'm only one person. Why would I need two Facebook accounts? And the record sort of skipped a little bit after that. And, but what actually happened is it qualified me for a few of the managers that were like, okay, that kid's probably going to be very opinionated. However, I like that kid. Yeah, so like <laughs> straight shooter management yeah. potential. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's sort of, so that was, so, so I think, you know, less, less than there being like, yeah, we're only one person. And also don't be afraid to speak up and also don't be afraid to face the consequences of that. And so, so Boston speaks up, like going back to, I mean, you, you were talking about kind of the, the personal stories that have come out and how that's impacted people and also the professional, you know, contacts that have flowed maybe from, from an episode or two. Was that the vision you had in the beginning was that this would be this kind of connector and, and a way to tell personal stories? Yeah, there was like, there was a bit, there's definitely always been a vision to 
put myself in a position where I'm in a high perch in Boston's innovation community, able to invest not just human resources, but capital in people that I believe in and build companies and not work for people, but work with people that I love and believe in. Yeah. And I always knew that the way to get there was to network with a lot of people. Yeah. So I, that's all. And so when I moved back to Boston from after five years in Los Angeles, it was 2018 and Boston's media ecosystem, which always has been pretty mediocre at best, I thought was even worse than I remembered. Like I remember when Boston O was, dozens of reporters and covering like the food and beverage beat and had vibrancy to it. And the economy was punching above its weight. And then Boston Business Journal and then then Boston Herald and then Boston Globe, of course. Right. Now, you know, you come back and and come back in 2018. I've spent five years in Los Angeles and sort of with a community of dreamers. And so that's good and bad. The good part of that for Boston, listen up, Boston, is they like they love storytelling in L.A. They love brand. And so a lot of it, part of my attention in L.A. was really good salespeople and storytellers that, that that maybe had snake oil they were selling. And, you know, in Boston, I think people, <laughs> less people sell snake oil, yeah. but they don't know how to sell what amazing sauce they've kind of pulled together. And All think, steak, no sizzle. Yeah. So I, I was yeah. like, well, I think there's these layers of this cake that could be built to kind of build some sort of a media platform or even just call it a platform in Boston. I'm a dad now. I got a lot on my plate as a, as an entrepreneur. And I, but I do want to reconnect with Clem Caslot. I do want to reconnect with Galen Moore. I do want to reconnect with Dan Rowinsky. So why don't I do a podcast? Cause it's, it's it's an efficient use of catching right. time to catch up with people yeah. I want to catch it's up with. It's better than just meeting for drinks or something. It's like, for me, you know, yeah. Like yeah. the nerd in me was like, why yeah. can't I produce right. this reconnection to the yeah. Boston community? Yeah. All right, let's talk about LA a little bit because um, you know I, I always think of this. Uh, this one phrase in a Juno Diaz book that I read like uh, a while back. And I know, you know, Juno Diaz has had some problems, but I still think of this phrase all the time, you know, trying to defend Boston from uncool is like trying to stop a bullet with a piece of bread. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's, that's about it, you know? So what, like, that's the opposite of L.A., right? And when yeah. I was, you know, when I was growing up here in the city in Boston, when I was in college, I came here for college, and you know, I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, you know, that was a time when, uh, what, that, that hardcore compilation came out, This is Boston, Not L.A., right? Uh, and, and then there was that other one that was This is L.A., Not Boston, but it was Lower Alston. Anyway, uh, you know, okay, so now I've really dated myself. But, but the, anyway... Like, tell me about this L.A., Boston, like, I mean, because what you just described, I think, kind of gets to the heart of it. L.A. loves brand. They love story. Why? What is it that's different about Boston? Why, why, do, why do companies here, why do entrepreneurs here historically have such a hard time putting that together? And what are, I don't know, what are the counterexamples, you know? There's lots of quants in Boston. <laughs> um, so we, we love, like, and it's what what's made me what made me successful in LA was being relatively data inclined you know i i appreciate data impacting decisions that i make um i tend to lean a little bit more on instincts 
um, and my own sort of, yeah, my own instinctual creativity. Um, but I think in, in Boston, I think a lot of companies focus on product. Uh, they focus yeah. on engineering and then they prioritize sales and they, you know, they focus on areas that are obvious to focus on and sort of also are measurable, easily yeah. measurable. And, and so I think that brand takes like, to say brand takes a backseat, I think would be a severe understatement. It's, it's like quantifiable over qualifiable, yeah. if you will. Like, um, yeah, I think and, you're, I think you're certainly right on the product first yeah. mentality, the engineering first mentality, but I don't see why I still don't see why that has to, why that has to mean that, that, and, and it's like the, you can't, you can't deny the pattern. Like people have been talking about this. This is not a new topic, right? People have been talking about how Boston can't sell itself and Boston tech can't sell itself for, you know, 20 years. And, uh, well, yeah. And almost 15 years, let's say been since like Boston, like woke up and was like, yeah, okay. We missed the internet and the PC revolution. We missed three decades <laughs> of consumer technology innovation. It's no, you know, I mean, when I started covering Boston tech, people still thought that it was like a, a race between Boston and Silicon Valley. I remember who that. was the tech leader, right? I remember that. I remember disliking that, that. that in the same over in the same the way I disliked done and won. In, in college. <laughs> I also disliked the Red Sox Yankees rivalry, right? Like even when it was still like a legit rivalry in right. the 2000s, I didn't give a shit. Sure. I, I just, I don't know, like, I don't see, I never saw the point. Well, but the Red Sox Yankees rivalry was at least like, you know, they'd be in the playoffs, you know, together. I mean, you know, it took, yeah, but, but, but I don't know. They're like, you know, Silicon Valley at the point, at that point, right? Late aughts, you know, yep. that's, they, they were, that was a whole, they were just playing a different, wasn't even a different league, right? Mm -hmm. It was a different, you know, yeah, different sport. Yeah, you know, uh, being played over there. It's like comparing, you know, it's like comparing the Boston film scene to Hollywood. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a comparison. Yeah. Right. And that doesn't mean that the Boston film scene is something to, you know, to like spit on. Mm -hmm. It's, it's real, right. The Boston tech industry is very real also, but it's not, well, it's in a different category. So from Silicon Valley. I, I have sort of a, 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 a comment on that. And it's sort of like a general sort of just issue that I take with sort of Boston's tech community is Boston's tech community, sort of the business community of Boston, which is mm -hmm. driven by, technology in rap and like in, in the innovation yeah. economy, it, it is the biggest uh, economic driver of the region. And, and so yeah. therefore it sets the tone for like how we care about brand and storytelling mm -hmm. and our narrative, yeah. like as, as individuals and as a collective. Right. So it, it actually happens. There happens to be amazing things happening at the ICA. And yeah. there's a and there's all these amazing like there's documentary filmmakers here and there's there's short docs there's a short doc series on on artists out of the ICA and yeah. the problem is yeah. the problem is the artists and the creative community by their very nature they're doing it if if the Boston so the real opportunity in Boston for everyone that's listening especially like if you're in Silicon Valley Bank gets it to, to a certain extent. They're sponsoring this podcast. We're in their, we're in their fucking office today. Um, 
and I don't know if they sponsor the swearing or not. So that's, you know, that's on me. But that's cool. Being, yeah. in, a, being in a bank office yeah. is cool. Yeah. No. Yeah. So my 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 point. No, but but, but I got a point a, here. Then I got a point Silicon here. Valley Bank. I got nothing yeah. but good things to say about this. So company. for for a bank that wants to be cool, and you know its coolness can be determined by others and not me. Um, it's making the decision to support this podcast, and yeah. I would argue an SVB or entities like it in the community that stand to benefit from the general awareness of this region expanding beyond the region, invest in similar types of, of storytelling productions like the creative community, right. those documentary films, et cetera, and then actually coalesce those communities together, the innovation tech community plus the creative community. Boston should have a channel on the connected TV platforms, on Roku, on Vizio Watch Free, that is like introducing yeah. the fucking world to actual Boston. Did you did you dis have you disliked people from Boston portrayed on like shows like Real World right. and shit? Then like what are you waiting for? Like yeah. it like invent like there's actually incredible personalities like across this whole landscape and we don't showcase them in any way. We need like a way. we need like a Instagram or YouTube channel <laughs> where it's like only in Boston. Like every time I go, you know, my my barber's from the Dominican, every time I go get my hair cut, he's got this uh channel on in there, only in the DR thing and uh and it's hilarious it's all these like little clips little videos it's like being in people's living room you know yeah. it's like america's funniest home videos but it's you know without bob saget now. yeah good rest in peace right the uh, and, and i mean we need something like that like to tell the story right yeah. like how who what who are the personalities well, you know what but uh, okay i don't know let me let me back up yeah. from yeah, let me yeah, back yeah. up from that for yeah. a second and just like I want to talk about counterexamples yeah. because there are examples of companies that have sold themselves, right? That mm -hmm. have that have come up with a narrative that made sense and that have captured attention. I mean, um, here, yeah, here, yeah. here in Boston. I mean, I, you know, I mean, okay. The, so Theranos is off the table. So Theranos is off the table. Do they? Do they have a Boston connection? No, no, no. I'm just, okay. saying, I'm just pointing out, like, listen, I'm I'm pointing out the obvious, which is narrative and story and sell, like, can be. You can, can be go, a weapon. Can, can go, go too far. Can go too far. Sure. Okay, but yeah. like I'm, the, the example I'm thinking of, like right off the top of my head, is is um, you know Wayfair, right? Was sure. was CSN stores was was the least you know the least sexy e-commerce company in the world, mm -hmm. right? And is now you know a known brand and is something people turn to. They have an identity. Uh, you know, it's one of the largest technology employers in Boston, if not the largest, right? Uh, so I don't know. Like, does that they're the exception. They're the. It's they, a counter example. They're they're the, they're the exception yeah, totally. to, to the to the norm. And Absolutely. when when I was in LA, one of the only companies I looked back at Boston and thought, like, damn, right. they get it, is Wayfair. Part of the reason why they would pop on the radar is like we shared a space in Venice with um, a, a VR and AR OG VR and AR dudes uh -huh. in LA. And they were doing some really interesting consulting work with Wayfair in Boston, developing like oh, the, their virtual, their immersive yeah, you reality could put your couch in your yeah. So like they, <laughs> they've been ahead, so they have been ahead on the forefront in a lot of ways and embracing like yeah. media innovation as a means through which you can experience Wayfair. Uh -huh. And they've also embraced like like thinking of themselves as the most grandiose brand they could possibly be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Be more like Wayfair people. Is there anybody? I mean, is there anybody else like smaller? Like who's 
you know, who, who's got that kind of vibe? Who's got that kind of spark? I mean, I think Wayfair, like, like Wayfair engineered it. You know, they raised a big round of private equity. Yeah. They changed their name. They changed their culture. Yeah. It's kind of amazing that they were able to do it. Yeah. I like, I liked what coach up did. Yeah. That's a great example. Coach up built a great brand. Who was behind that brand? Ryan light. He's renting my old apartment in Venice beach. Now uh, <laughs> he's living in a boat. If you're driving so, through Venice beach, so it's the only apartment building that looks like a big white boat. That's, that's where my daughter was born. That's where Ryan light lives. They'll, they'll say what up to the former, former <laughs> yeah, head of marketing. Dox the, for don't Coach dox up. the person. Yeah. No, you see it on Instagram. Plenty, right? For plenty of people that listen to this podcast, probably know, they know Ryan light. They, he's yeah. the CEO of pistol Lake. Now I, I'm wearing yeah. a Pistol Lake shirt, yeah. folks, and I am how that's a Boston LA company. How as comfortable well, do, I, Lake, do I look right now? Right, very comfortable. <laughs> very comfortable. I'm, I'm personally, I'm wearing a Hanes V-neck, so uh, I feel a little bit upstaged too. Yeah. You know, no, I think I mean uh, the Boston LA thing is like I don't know. Boston and LA should should. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot that the two cities have to offer one another. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. there is. There is. I think that yeah. um, there's a lot, like, and I would say there's a lot that, from a creative standpoint, there's a lot of creative talent from Boston. So just yeah. like everyone knows of, like, the tech talent that leaves Boston, creative talent, like, Douglas Emerson. Douglas Emerson. Shout out to my boy, Douglas, who graduated from Emerson College and, uh, buddy uh, some buddies in boston knew to mm -hmm. connect him with me while yeah. i was in la plugged him in to the scene in la and he's he's got like the top metaverse design firm in la right huh. now. all right right that's like how that's pretty hot right and like you know he, you like, know industrial design in boston uh you know i mean the the real world abides and you know we need objects and industrial design has long been uh, boston's been a center of excellence there like a cluster uh, so, you know, I, I mean, I think there's all kinds of ways in which Boston can surprise you, but it always feels like you always have to kind of like, you have to discover that stuff for yourself. Yeah. Like people are not, and as you said, right there, it, w there was a time when there were multiple outlets kind of competing to tell those stories, yeah. multiple media outlets yeah. competing to tell those stories. And I, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to throw shade on the Boston Globe or Bostino or anybody else who's operating today, but. I don't know. Somehow it feels like it's harder to find those stories today. It's harder to identify what's the must read publication that's at the center yeah. of, of anything that's happening. Yeah. I don't know. I, um, I, t this is, this is something that I think, like I think about a lot, which is how do you rapidly transform and, and, and add the number of quality pieces of, of journalism, which, which can be in different content types, ideally, mm -hmm. but just mm -hmm. in, in, about the Boston tech community. Yeah. And I, I do think it comes down to economics. Mm -hmm. I do think it comes down to the sad state of the digital publishing market. And, yeah, yeah. and there needs to be more collective initiatives, consortiums that underwrite quality journalism and mm -hmm. that quality journalism can exist in new competitive entities to the existing ones, or right. they can just broker relationships with BBJ. I mean, Boston Speaks Up got its syndication agreement with Boston Business Journal within the first three episodes. Yeah. I don't, yeah. BBJ too. I mean, they're doing, they're doing good work over yeah. there. Some people I know yeah. pretty well. And, um, but again, it just doesn't, I don't know. There's something like the, the, um, you know, the traction 
Yeah. It feels like it isn't, it isn't there. We, we need, we need a better media landscape. Like yeah. we need more competitors. We need more, more advertising dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it can come through TV. Yeah. I would, I would encourage everyone to invest in great video and I would, yeah. I would look at square uh-huh. and think about like, consider this square has won awards for documentary filmmaking yeah, where I, I did not know that Square is a you know it's a payments platform. Yeah, they're not making they're not even underwriting films about payment like finance or anything or business. Yeah. They're just they're supporting quality independent uh, documentary filmmaking. Yeah. and the only time they show up in those docs is at the beginning. You know, Square film you know Square Films presents right sort of like beginning and end. And they, uh, that's well, like a Red Bull, Red yeah, Bull model no, or whatever. Like, I don't know what, what like shoving a, a non-viable ve- vessel into the Charles has to do with, with an energy drink per mm-hmm. se. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can mm-hmm. see the connection in kind of a second degree or third degree kind of a way, yeah. <laughs> but, but like that stuff, that kind of stuff that they do yeah. and, and sponsor and the kind of enthusiasm and excitement that they generate. I mean, maybe that's it. Like in Boston just doesn't think that way. You know, doesn't think kind of orthogonally to the direction they're trying to go, right? Boston is thinking like, how do I create content that, you know, uh, reaches the audience I'm trying to sell to and gives them information that they need? Then, you know, Boston is not thinking, how do I create content that just gets everybody really excited? Exactly. And creates a kind of a mood or a vibe. Yeah, exactly. And it's (laughs) like, and I mean, maybe part of like, I hope that I, and at times I have, like I stoke the fire of people in Boston. Like there's a, I won't, there's a VC group I'm talking to right now in town. That's like stoked to support yeah. a video storytelling endeavor right that's now, good. because there's t- like the reason that the t- TV came up is because you talked about ad dollars. It's like, so I'm reverse engineering it as like a media pro and I'm thinking, all right, well, the traditional TV ad market alone is like a $70 billion market. So like, all right, we have, we have a certain pool of people's attention because we're talking about a big market. Yeah. But then like, why is it a big market? Well, because what's the most compelling content that you watch during, like in a, in a day, even yeah. like I was looking at data the other day, like even Gen Z, like at the end of the day, Gen Z is watching TV. They watch more video during the day and it's on different devices, but they watch content. Everyone watches content on the TV, on you mean the television. They, wait a minute. So do you mean they're like watching it on a screen that's on they'll the watch wall? It on their, they'll watch it um, on a Vizio, a Samsung, yeah. like a actual Right, but when you say when you say people are watching TV, do you mean they're actually watching like the scheduled programming that everybody else is watching at the same time? They are watching content on TV. They may be yeah. watching YouTube. And, but that, basically, and TV means a screen on the wall. Screen on the wall. Screen on the wall. Lean back. Yeah. Couch. Bed. Yep. Whatever type of thing. Yep. Yeah. And I and I may like the snackable stuff, so I may be into some shit on YouTube that's eight minutes long. I may be into a 20 minute long format or I might just want my 60 minutes, but they're watching a content. Mi- uh, to, to a 120 yeah. minute film. Yeah. yeah. And so the opportunity right now is to create content that is compelling, that people would be willing to put on that into that screen right. on their wall. And the ability yeah. to distribute content on that screen on the wall is easy. 
Right. Can help anyone with that. I guess discovery is the question. How do you well make sure you make yeah. sure people know that it's there that they and make you, them you you partner you partner with people and I'm not I am not this person I am not I'm a I'm a I'm I, in this regard I'd be a broker to people who could create this kind of content but you partner with people in places that know how to tell stories for the TV screen that's who you partner with and listen by the way you don't this isn't like oh let's go you're not going to go create one video and go put it on a uh, get it on, get it on television. It's create a video with the intention that it could be on television. Hold yourself to that fucking standard. That's all I'm advocating for because it just so happens like Wistia's in town, and like Wistia is a company that ho- it's like the yeah. it's that smart video wrapper for like that's, they a probably good, that's host, another good counter. That's example. another good counter example. <laughs> They're a great brand. I remember, uh, and I mean this goes back to product, but uh, uh, drunk user testing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Wistia has like I, I'm not sure crazy. how many good product insights were derived from drunk user testing, but it was the kind of thing that has that it has that it kind has of that excitement, thing. like it's like, oh what? They did what? It creates awareness <laughs> and recognition yeah. and and all and all that. Uh, so yeah. and, and kind of fun and yeah. and and that, like that whatever, that yeah. feeling. Yeah. If uh if I could design the ultimate like if I could pitch John Henry right now. And like what the Boston Globe should do, like what like a hmm. institutional publisher in town should do. Hmm. It's invest, it come up with a premium video strategy. Yeah. And it started as a YouTube channel and, and like yeah. and, and do whatever you got to do to like build a digital video business. But once you get a certain library of content together, like you actually have some really interesting if you develop the right content. You have a whole new revenue stream. So it goes, so if you do brand, so my big thing on brand is if you do brand correctly, not only do you elevate your brand, but you create a new revenue stream. And, and, I, and I, I think if you, if you find marketers or storytellers or you know, brand people that you believe that have that mindset sure. and are hip with that mindset, I think that's, that's you, the you, path. You, you create the publication that, that yeah. is the go-to for your industry. You, applause. you host a conference that is the go-to I, for your industry. A, that applause is both, I'm applauding you, but applause. <laughs> applause yeah. invested in Dan Rowinski uh-huh, to right. build the Application Resource Center. If people yeah. don't know this story, check out a podcast number one that I ever did. But Dan Rowinski, mobile editor from Read Write Web, gets hired by applause to right. create a publication, applause, which is FKA, uh, what was formerly known as uh, what was applause called in the early going before they just like I don't know what it had something. It was probably something matter of fact to do with like, like use like at, like testing bug bounty or something. Yeah. they're like a very literally. Literal that's way. what applause's <laughs> yeah. business was was yeah. basically bug bounties for yeah, people right. all around the world. Which yeah. is a, you know, which is a very interesting business. Yeah, I mean, especially I mean, yeah. as you know, personally active in Web three and crypto, like that's a a huge problem. Right. Yeah. For, for, so that is an exception. And I, and like, that's a model that I, I know for a fact, Dan's been reached out, was reached out to closer to when that applause and application resource center publication were, had just happened, uh-huh. but they were hitting them up about doing more of those models. Yeah. That's the sort of stuff that you have to invest in. Well, and I mean, I don't know, like we, you know, we see it in the crypto industry, right? Like my, the company I work for is Axelar. Uh, we do uh, Web3 infrastructure for interoperability between blockchains. So use your assets on Ethereum uh, in the Cosmos ecosystem or, or vice versa, uh, Avalanche, uh, you know, et cetera. Right? Moonbeam is a Boston-based team uh, based building on uh, Polkadot. Um, uh, you know, so we, we're, um, 
you know, we're, we see all the time, right? With uh, when ecosystems are built, the companies that build them are able to command audience and attention. And so it ends up being, you know, it's not necessarily going to be your primary revenue stream, but it's a revenue stream. Mm -hmm. Like we were in um, uh, Barcelona a few weeks ago for the Avalanche Summit, right? That's one of the layer one blockchains. They hosted this great event. They brought together their community and, you know, they were sponsors, right? There were people paying for the tickets. You know, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know how much money they made or yeah. lost, but, yeah. I, you know, I, I had, I'd be surprised if they you know, if they didn't end up, you know, in the black on the books. And I think if you, if you can build that audience and create content that people are hungry for, if you build your brand, right. In a way that people are excited about HubSpot is a great example from Boston, right. The inbound conference is like, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a revenue stream. I I mean, whatever. You asked a really hard question. I'm not a HubSpot analyst. I have not looked at, you know, whether they break that out or what, but, it is, it, you know, that's a, I'd be very surprised if they're not able to make some money on the inbound conference. Yeah. Well, you actually asked a tough question when you did those rapid fire ones over email, when you were like Wayfair or HubSpot. Ha. I actually had to pick HubSpot in that case, even, uh, even though they both were yeah, preempting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just telling you right now, like the reason I actually went with HubSpot though, is because they've like, it, they've somehow pulled off almost like the Intel inside equivalent uh, of, oh, that's of performance marketing, like, in, uh-huh. and, and like, and just like marketing management, like yeah. they're, they're like a bed embedded horizontally across like the marketing stack uh-huh. in, in a, in a kind of Intel inside kind of way through incredibly, you know, just deliberate, not, in, not, in ter- not terribly clever, but just like deliberate, um, storytelling and and just and and just consistent consistent you know content and event production i think they've focused on that on that you know uh small mid-sized business audience right that they've been focused on from the beginning i, do, I know they've branched out beyond that they do enterprise yeah. as well yeah. now but like they focused on creating content that is useful and like understanding that persona yeah i know that that's been part of their dna from the very early days but like, let's get, let's get yeah. into that. Cause I, yeah. that was one of the questions yeah. I wanted to ask you is like, okay, so we're in this world where, you know, content is king and everybody has their, uh, their content machine. Uh, and I don't know, for me, as like a user of the internet, you go and you search things and I'm like, oh, well that looks promising. Click. Oh, what, you know, what, what, what intern wrote this, you know, <laughs> right? Like, no, no disrespect to interns, you know, but like what? You know, what, what like unpaid, you know, person suffering under college debt and, and with, you know, no, uh, with, with no guidance or, or, or resources wrote this, uh, you know, misbegotten piece of content that is purporting to, you know, that has fooled Google, fooled the, the mastermind AI of Google into thinking that, that I'm going to, you know, really, really get what I'm looking for here. And I feel like every time I, well, not every time, but often when I'm searching, I've got to, you know, search through the undergrowth mm-hmm. of all that stuff mm-hmm. in order to find the real, the real material. Mm-hmm. So, so what is the, wh- where is the internet going with this content creation? And I guess, you know, we're yeah. going back from like brand here to like utility, right? Like yeah. I'm looking for information. Yeah. There's a ton of companies who want to claim to be the people who are providing it to me. They're all shit posting all over the internet. Yeah. Right. And I, I feel like the lanes are clogged. Like how do I, 
how do we recover the promise of the internet as a place where you can actually find valuable information? Well, what's the, what's the sort of vision for the content producer that's actually going to, you know, get there instead of just contributing to the, to the traffic jam? So many thoughts. Hmm. Uh, I have one thought that's come to mind. I've never thought of before. It's super instinctual, but it's basically like, I think a lot of my points are going to hit on these things individualistic approach with reddit type oversight ah reddit is a reddit is a shining beacon in a way in this area right i mean and there's a lot of trash on reddit too right oh yeah yeah (laughs) it's gone too far yes but but there are communities on reddit where the the curation is is real right and it's and it's and it's uh, self-passionate yeah it's passionate and and so i think there so individualism and in indiv- in individuals who have certain levels of integrity and mm-hmm. um, acknowledged subject matter expertise, mm-hmm. et cetera, mm-hmm. will prevail long term. And I think some sort of you know measurement systems, currencies, checks and balances, Reddit type si- systems that help sort of indicate the. A degree of likelihood that this is someone that you can trust. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that 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 part hasn't come yet. But look at right. look at the Substack phenomenon. Look at you know it, it, Alex Kantrowitz was a reporter I knew from when he was at Ad Age. Yeah, he goes over to BuzzFeed. He's the media reporter at BuzzFeed. He then he, I remember he hit me up actually. Me being me, always know you can hit me up. This is for listeners. Galen knows this. With any type of random request, Alex Kantrowitz hit me up randomly and was like, hey, you do business with companies in Seattle, right? And I was like, yeah, sure. He goes, that is pretty do, you, do you think that you could um, kind of plug me into some people that live there? Guy. He's like, he goes, I need, I need to find a place to live for a month because I'm trying to interview Jeff Bezos for a book. And I was like, this sounds awesome. I want to help. I just want to help. This is, like the, this is like the Frank Sinatra has a cold of, yeah. uh, of, of tech journalism. Yeah. I'm like, I, I'm like, Alex, I fucking love you. And in particular, because you're asking me this question. So I, I plugged him into some people in, 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 in Seattle and actually mm-hmm. forgot years later when he hit me up, when he was like, oh, yeah, and like. I meant to give you an acknowledgement in the book because you like got me housing in Seattle. And I was like, I did like, I didn't even remember, but the reason I bring him up is so he, you know, he talks to Bezos, Zuckerberg, he talks to a lot of the kind of fang fang leaders. Um, and he wrote this book always day one, which is sort of like the way those companies stay on top is just, maybe you saw it's like black cover, silver writing, um, a lot of first person, like conversations. I read a a chunk of that book. Okay, cool. So, what did he do when that book came out and he reached another level of success? He left BuzzFeed. He launched his own Substack. Did he actually succeed in interviewing Bezos? Yeah. He did. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't remember yeah, what he, he did. He did. Because he definitely had some interviews with other folks at, at Amazon, but I couldn't remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Pretty sure. Anyway, um, anyway, yeah, yeah. So so yeah, so he um he went the Substack route. I think I'm not necessarily, this is not a pitch for Substack because I don't think that that's the best solution. Although I would say like Substack has some interesting technological advancements that may hopefully are in its pipeline to help to number one, help the right content from Substack index high. 
and and in part tied to that, like the content that indexes high sort of indicate inspire a degree of confidence in the viewer and potential reader of the quality of the content. Look, we were talking about brand and Boston and storytelling and and counterexamples, right, of of how how poor Boston is in that category. And I think we've, we've shifted to sort of utility and information. Yeah. And I think Substack is actually, you know, we talked about Reddit as yeah. a counterexample, which by yeah. the way is originally a Boston company. Yeah. Like, let's Diesel Cafe in Davis Square is okay. where uh, Alexis yeah. Ohanian yeah. was the, working on a bunch of sure. the Reddit That was stuff one early. of the original Boston, yeah. I think yeah. one of the, I don't know, first or Not second yeah. cohort of, of Y Combinator here in Boston before, uh, you know, Paul Graham slammed the door, yeah. uh, which was which was the wake up call that made everybody be like, oh, shit, it's over, <laughs> by the way, I think. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know, we could dive into that ancient history. But the you know, we're talking about counterexamples in the kind of ability to actually find useful information on the Internet. And I feel like Substack is one of them. Like Reddit is one of them. Substack is actually one of them. Uh, you know, you, you, a lot of things you Google, you you'll find a Substack thread on it. It'll be in the high up search results on Google. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're searching it just generally on the internet. You'll find and, and for me, whenever I see that Substack thread up there, I'm like, click. Right. Because I, I have con- I have a sense of confidence. And you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't always work. Like sometimes mm-hmm. the thread is kind of uh, esoteric or, mm-hmm. or it's kind of peters out. There isn't yeah. really an answer. You know, um, yeah. but you know, when you're when you're looking for an answer, a solution to a problem that you have. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's a Substack result up high. Like that's a that's a good example of a place that has curated content yeah. well. Yeah. So I think like that that to in the back to your question too about like the thin content and the and the and and all the kind of crap out there mm-hmm. and, and how it does often index high. I think the problem is not just from companies, but even publishers, you know, like mm-hmm. as someone who's been developing totally. a lot with different publishers for a number right. of years now, the there's there's a lot of um, I mean, look at like even like look at Forbes, like a well-known media brand, and and hopefully enough people at this point know of like the the sort of like deals that are often or lack thereof that exist with most of the authors that write you know a Forbes byline. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. It's don't put a ton of credit. You know, you I gotta be careful. I can't. Let's not talk about Forbes because I'm gonna say something mean. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. So, so in there, kind of amazed that they yeah. still have a brand. So, so in there lies the point <laughs> I want to make, which is to say, and this is a debate. So, I, you know, I, I came up as a publicist, and I and I have evolved into something different, but ultimately, and always, will have interesting POV on media and PR, and mm. and, and and that's a role that that I'll play for some of the companies I work with. I think that there is definitely some some sort of changes that are happening in media right now where mm-hmm. trade publications, the ones doing things the right way mm-hmm. are gaining a lot of uh, market yeah. share. And I mean, market share financially, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, a trade publication when I was, you know, I last, com- last company I was at, like we built a I love, I love a good trade. Yeah. We built a good TV trade yeah. that had 10 to 20, 10 to 20,000 right. readers a month. And you like loyal readers. Yeah. It's a great the right readers. Yeah. Like, and, and we would go, you know, I'd go to Cannes festival in South of France and we'd run into Peter Naylor, who's like the senior vice president of ad solutions at Hulu. And, you know, he, has just presented and we saw the presentation and he's 
using our our uh, quoting TV Rev, like our essentially blog. You know, it's got 10, 12,000 readers. And TV Rev was focused on just the end of like the, the convergence of traditional TV streaming television and online video All right. and how that those worlds are converging and how things are changing. And we had, we had brands, i.e. our clients pay us money into a pot. This is the model, everyone into a pot and said, great, here's the budget. We got 180 G's this year with $180,000. How are we going to spend the money to execute TV Rev to the best possible ability possible? Yeah, yeah. Like how like how much are we going to invest on writers and content? How much are we going to invest on deep dive reports? Mm-hmm. How like are we going to have a couple events? What are the things that we can offer our sponsors yeah. to make sure that they get the value out of this? And we went and created content that built an audience and people kept doubling down on. Yeah. And that's sort of the in the, the writers who wrote that content were former Digiday, Wall Street Journal, Business Insider. Yeah. And they were they were respected for for what you know what they wrote when they put pen to digital paper. I think it's um I mean the way you describe it actually reminds me of a concept. That uh, am I that bringing I, you back to school? Didn't you study this <laughs> at Northeastern? Nah, no, I, I did study some interesting things yeah. at Northeastern, but um, but the you know honestly, like the it's not about ad, like people that word advertising is misleading, right? Super because misleading. It, it gives you a sense of like okay, I post this, I publish this ad, and it and it kind of brings in a customer. I think a lot of times, what's needed is a sense of like. Um, it's not advertising, it's support. You're supporting the publication. You, you believe in the publication existing. It's a, it's a phrase that the publisher of the Philadelphia Business Journal uh, used frequently. I was a consultant with them for a little bit um, back in um, 2000, uh, uh, 2019. And um, yeah, are they going to, you know, we need to talk to these businesses in the local business community. Are they going to support yeah. the business journal? Right. And you think about like, this is like on a geographic level, right? Or yeah. The Philadelphia business community, the bankers, the lawyers, the, uh, the service providers, yeah. right? Are, are they going to support the real estate agents, right? Yeah. The real estate brokers, commercial real estate brokers. Are they going to support having a, a publication, right? That is catering to the business community here, right? That's, it's not about, you know, are they going to advertise, right? You didn't use that language. Mm-hmm. Use the language, are they going to support it? And I think you can apply that to a lot of different niches, whether it's 100%. geographic or industry, Right? Are you going to support something that 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 activates this community, that serves this community, this that fires them up, in, that gives yeah. them utility, information? Yeah. Uh, you know, check check any of the boxes that that you will. Right. Yeah. Whatever service this publication is providing, you know, maybe it's all of the above. Um, you know, are you gonna are you gonna support it as a, as an advertiser? And I think that in a way, it's like you know, they're underwriters. It's like the NPR model. Yeah. What's interesting is some of the so I don't know if you remember Mike.com. Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah. When they popped on and now they're gone. Okay. They're gone. As a nerd, you do, but a, a lot of people would probably say they right, don't. Right. They were the they were the, the video for millennials. Yeah, and you want to I mean they did they did some great productions. Like really like so they did a couple, put it all in a so, lot of hard. So they executed a programming strategy uh-huh. and an ad strategy that is in my view, like close to flawless. What, what was the, what, what, why did they, 
I don't know. So the, what happened there? Because there, because <laughs> you went on Mike.com, pages loaded like that. Because, yes, true. Because right. the only advertising model was every page was presented by a sponsor. Uh huh. That was it. So it was a, it was a, it was a supporting sponsor model. Uh huh. There wasn't traditional ads. There was no Did ad. People load. not respond to that. Did advertising? I, 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 like no. I, I, and and so that's what I don't know. Yeah. The content was amazing. It was it was resonating with the young audience. That sort of. But the, the thing is. Not every idea succeeds. So there's probably a lot of reasons. The execution could have been poor. Yeah. Sure. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, let's get let's yeah. get down to, yeah. to like actual like systemic problems here. Like more companies like that of that scale ought to be public. Yeah. Right. We ought to have opportunities to invest as as you know yeah. everyday Joe stock investors, yeah. Joe and Jane stock yeah. investors. We ought to have opportunities to invest in companies that are at that scale. And I think you know in a way like it's it's post uh, you know post post Sarbanes Oxley. Mm-hmm. We we you know the way um, the costs involved. We are in a world where there are fewer public companies for us to invest in than there were twenty years ago, mm-hmm. right? And if and if and if you you know I feel like. Uh, you know, first of all, there's more opportunities to build wealth, right? When you get an opportunity to invest in an exciting company that's still at a growth stage, right? Mm-hmm. And also, right, so that that addresses some of these like wealth gap issues. But also, there's this like you know, there's so many privately held companies operating out there. You have no idea what's going on inside these companies. You might look at them from the outside and say, "Wow, that's really exciting what they're doing." Inside, it's a mess, mm-hmm. right? Whereas when you're running a publicly traded company, I think you you know, obviously, you have to have at least a, a certain degree of transparency about what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Right. No, it's true. It's, it's uh, I mean, so uh, obviously that's a tangent, but I feel like that's one thing. So Gary Gensler, if you're listening, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like something to help us get a few more publicly traded companies out there that are at a, a smaller scale. I think. Does that, very so, so let me flip. If I could, if I could flip and ask you a question, then like, uh-huh. is that a, a, a case for, the initial coin offering model of, mm-hmm. of or, or no. <laughs> you hit yeah. the red button. Yeah. Uh, the, the podcast is over folks. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, the, the, uh, I think, I mean, I think the, the initial coin offering, like the ICO craze that happened in 2017 was a, a symptom of, of this problem of, of a declining number of, mm. of growth opportunities you know, growth investment opportunities, right? For, yeah. for again, you know, for non non sophisticated uh, per se, right? Yeah. Anybody can be sophisticated, but yeah. it's like capital S sophisticated, right? Yeah. Like non professional, yeah. uh, non institutional um, investors. And I think what you are seeing in crypto is the the rise of a, a blurring of that distinction between sophisticated professionals and individuals. Like in in, in stocks, there's this assumption that you have your institutional investors and your retail investors. And the retail represents a kind of a herd with limited sophistication. And the, uh, the institutions are the smart, you know, the smart money, quote unquote, you know? Uh, So in crypto now, I think after a few, a few waves of, of, um, of investment and a few waves of kind of, you know, a few bull cycles, if you will, you have actually a lot of individual investors who are very sophisticated. They may have come over from the traditional investing world and gotten interested in crypto, mm-hmm. right? They may have, uh, you know, kind of made their made their first investment in anything in crypto and and become sophisticated over time, learned through the ups and downs, uh, and now you know have big stacks 
and are investing in a in a, a very sophisticated way, despite being you know nothing like what you would think a traditional institutional investor would be, mm-hmm. right? So that's I think that's the world we're living in today in crypto, and mm-hmm. I, you know again I think the growth of that and the excitement around crypto in general, ICOs aside, is a kind of a, a symptom of. Of you know, even in the United States, where like let's be real, we really do have a lot of opportunities to like set our own pants on fire if we want to. You know, like mm-hmm. you can invest in preclinical biotechs. You know, there's a lot of things you can invest in that are red hot and yeah. you know, probably going to go to zero. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, but and you want to invest in an NFT platform, <laughs> right? But I got about like, there's about seventy five to invest but, in. But, but there's still <laughs> but we're still faced with this with this like you can't deny the statistics. There are fewer publicly traded companies today than there were twenty years ago, and I think you know it's a it's a problem that the SEC is aware of. I know Gary Gensler has spoken you know very you know he's spoken eloquently about it. And I think it's a problem everybody would like to solve, but nobody's really figured out how to solve that and prevent, you know, a kind of a snake oil scenario, right? Which I would say is, you know, very active. I mean, you look around in crypto, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an imperfect world. It's an imperfect little industry where a lot of people are, um, are, are, are selling things that, that really don't have much behind them, I guess, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying like, you know, crypto is the solution. This is that yeah. is the solution. Like I've been around long enough. Yeah. I've seen I've seen, you know, micro angels were the thing that was going to disrupt. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, what was it? Not, not, not micro angels. Uh, micro VC mm-hmm. was the thing that was going to disrupt VC. Right. The super angels was going to disrupt VC. The Y Combinators were going to disrupt VC. Right. I've seen enough waves of things that were supposed to kind of overturn the existing system for growth companies. Mm-hmm. And um you know, none, none, ICOs were going to disrupt VC. None of it has actually happened. The VC industry is still here. People are still, you know, it's bigger than ever, yeah. <laughs> you know, Dis- uh, despite, yeah. you know, three quarters of it uh, having kind of uh, not really beating the S&P. Uh, you know, so so like what what is the solution? I don't know, but I, I, I would really love to see a world in which we can all participate and invest in, right? Like a small company that is, small, medium size that's growing. Mm-hmm. And and I think the world we live in today in the US, the most developed, the most sophisticated financial market in the world, we are we are missing the mark on that. I, I'm with you. I was just thinking like of one of the faster growing angel groups in America right now is one in Boston, TBD Angels. It was oh. six, 12 people a couple of years ago. It's okay. 180, 200 plus now. What's setting them apart? Like, what are they doing? You know, so the the clipped. If people know clipped, that was based in Mm -hmm. Davis Square. Yeah, Um, they sold to AT and T. Kind of part of that Xander play from AT and T. So Joshua Summers, Jason Burke, Doug Hurd. Those are a few of the kind of senior leadership um, from Clipped. Like they're part of the founding team, David Chang. Mm -hmm. But I think Jason Burke's an interesting player in all of it because he he's been on the podcast. And I've talked to him recently because I've talked to him you know, over the last year. It's been a while since I talked to him on the pod. He's he's t- he's the product engineering guy from Clipped, so he's he's introduced an interesting product. And the reason they come to mind, and this can, based on what you're saying, it all comes to mind is he's created like the reason TBD Angels is scaling really well 
is because he's making it almost frictionless for a lot for angels to yeah. be added to the platform, see a deal, see what deals exist, uh-huh. search and understand like, oh right. yeah, I'm interested in Web3 right now, or I have subject matter expertise in media or, or biotech, find, you know, cut down to just those deals, share due dil- collective due diligence on the deals, have a voting mechanism for who's interested and who's involved, and then like quickly get to a yay or nay, we're going to make an investment eight to 13 to upwards of 20 plus angels involved in a $250,000 note. Yeah. A nice clean note. So what I'm, so for me, I think, so I think TBD angels growth, I would put a lot of, um, I would give a lot of sort of uh, credit to the product engineering aspect of, yeah. of the way they're approaching things. And so I, what my, my wonder is, and obviously there's, there's like certain like compliance factors to being able to invest in companies. And I think that's an ultimate you inhibitor, gotta, you gotta but be accredited, yeah, et cetera. That, and so you have to be an accredited investor to be in, in well, the group. I'm, I'm striving. I'm yeah. Trying to get me, me too. Aspirational. Yes. And it's like, <laughs> why? And so th- what's interesting to me is like, actually the solution exists. And it's how angel groups are are modernizing their models. Uh-huh. TBD Angels out of Boston has a model that if compliance wasn't a concern, we could create a group through value creation labs and or, and, and or there's just be more fluidity. There can be more liquidity like or people could participate in that liquidity that aren't accredited investors. I mean, that's because I think, you know, we've been on that path for a while, right? Like where you see that that kind of um, you know, angel group, like more more lightweight, like less like, oh, you know, you come and present to all of us out at some, you know, club in Newton and uh, you know <laughs> Yeah, and the most exciting and the most exciting thing about it is that afterwards you're gonna go to buffs that's right for <laughs> wings. <laughs> And you're going to hang out. Maybe you'll get to see Tuka Rask because he likes to go there. Fun facts. If you didn't know that, Best Wings in Boston, Buffs Pub, cash only. Be prepared for that. Tuka Rask may be in, a, in, in appearance. You know, I mean, the, I, I have no comment on any of that. Uh, <laughs> I just came up with an idea. All right. Lay it on me. How long is this podcast going to go, by the way? Brought to, a, a new Boston Speaks Up podcast brought to you by Axelar. And it's the Brooksy podcast. And it's, it's us once. It's like us however many times we want to come in here. You, you think, just think we'll this. just do this. We'll just do this. Axelar we'll, will sponsor. I don't Axelar, know. yeah. I don't All right. Know. I'll, 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 I'll prioritize that right away. Yeah, right away. Let's see if, <laughs> let's see if Axelar wants to let us hang out and... Um, and drink and drink uh, Japanese whiskey. Yeah, this I, this um, this podcast, by the way, was brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank and Fuyu, uh, the Japanese whiskey maker. Let's see, actually, is that the maker? That's the name of the whiskey. Um, Fuyu, uh, as of course you know, means winter in Japanese. Uh, and um, yeah, this is a great whiskey, by the way. Thanks. I've been enjoying it. Thank you. Quite smooth. The ja- Japanese is the is my favorite variety of oh, of whiskey. They they have uh, you know as as um as I think as I think Japan does with many things right like take take a take something and really really take it to its most excellent level. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Really, like yeah. They do. Which which by the way, I think that's what we did today. I think oh, we took this, I th- with this podcast. I think we took our conversation to the most excellent level. 
we took it to like the most like random and tangential level. But yeah. If that equates yeah. to excellence, then I agree with you. In my view, the most excellent level is is the level where you can just be yourself, and the and and you and 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 who you are with. And I, I, you seem you've seemed pretty relaxed during this conversation, so I'm happy. I, I'm. I'm extremely relaxed. I did zero preparation. That's no, not true. Actually, I did. I did look through the questions you suggested. Suggested some of my own, as you know. I, I'm not sure we got through everything, but I think we covered some pretty interesting topics. We did yeah. not cover what's wrong with the agency model. Yeah, that's one thing I want to talk to you about sometime. But yeah, we, we can save that for the next. Yeah, the next Brooksy podcast. The next Brooksy podcast. People don't know what yeah. Brooksy means, by the way. So yeah, so when you write Broski, so you know how autocorrect just gets <laughs> all right. up in your world. So. I like you know, I like to I like to get creative shot. with my bros. So brother, bro, Brobraham Lincoln, Broski. Hey, Broski. Broski is not that creative. No. Okay. No, I just that's, that's, I should say I should say I just like to vary my sure. versions of brother. Um, and yeah. so I went to write Broski to to Galen one time, and it autocorrected to Brooks. Yeah. And so so we're the Brookses. Now. So we're the Brooks. Brooks the Brooks yeah, we're the Brooks brothers. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know we're we're in a, far, a far from it, big patent battle. Actually, our trademarking battle yeah, with Brooks Brothers at this point received several letters. Yeah, and they're just gonna have to deal with it. <laughs> they are because I don't give a shit. Um, they are. But yeah, this is this has been fun. There's always more to do, but I think also maybe there's uh, some sort of a regular check-in podcast between, between oh, Zach and Galen, depending I, on the feedback to the episode. Oh yeah. Let's yeah. see. I, I put let's it this see. way. If it like, what is the multiple of the, the episode number is 77. Like what's the multiple of that that we'd like to achieve? Like five X, like we like, at least the like answer, to get, the answer to this question is, least, is simple for me. I at least like I, to get above 385 users. I, I would love <laughs> to eventually be able to have more episodes than the amount of active listeners that I have. I mean that. Like, I actually, like, I don't give it, because I, like, and that's, that's. You'd like to, like a flippening. Yeah. I'm going to flip, I'm going to, we started with the flipperuski. We're ending with the flipperuski. I don't actually care about the size of the audience. Um, I care about the quality of the conversation and the impact that it brings. So, like, for me, I love doing this and I want to talk to people for the rest of my life and record it and have a sort of, you know, and publish it on the internet and, and, and publish it on the internet for all, for all to hear. Oh. This is, this, yeah. So, if, um, if I publish, you know, a hundred thousand podcasts someday, um, I don't necessarily anticipate to have a hundred thousand unique listeners. You know what I mean? So, that's sort of, I think we got to do the math on that. You have to be at the, at the rate you're going, you, you'd have to. You know, we'd have to like look to some of our friends over there in Cambridge for some biotech. Actually, yeah, let's do the math real quick. Gonna... If I podcast for fifty more years, and I do one, one a week, let's say twenty a year. Tw- tw- oh, okay, so one every two weeks. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so twenty a year. Yeah. For fifty more years. Yeah. Well, that's, that's my friend. That's far short of a hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm I'm no math genius. Yeah. I did not win. I did not win the math Olympiad on like yeah. one of the co-founders of Axelarm. Yeah. Uh, but I can tell you that a thousand. Yeah. 50 yeah. years, 20 yeah. a year, you're getting to a thousand. Yeah. That's right. And you know what? Some, <laughs> that's, some, and that's some two orders of magnitude below 100,000. And you know what? There we go. I'd still hit my goal. <laughs> I'd still hit my goal of having more episodes than listeners. So there you go. 1,000. Yeah. Some of these episodes only get about 500 listeners and that's fine. 500 is pretty good. 
It's not bad. And, and it's pretty damn good. One, one thing that I'm not afraid to be is open and honest about how to start a podcast, what to value in a podcast, and what not to value, size and scale of audience. If you have three, four, five hundred, seven, eight hundred people listen to a podcast, that's fucking massive because this is a very intimate Seriously. environment you're in. Yeah, I, I yeah. also value that yeah. about a podcast. It's like you have fly on the wall. Yeah. You know, you're really listening to just a couple people talking. Yeah. I, I, you know, I feel the same way. We've done a lot of, at Axelar, we've done a lot of AMAs. Yep. You know, use Twitter spaces. We yeah. did our first one today, actually, on Discord. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I, actually, I don't know if it's our first, technically. We might have done one on Discord before, but we've been in the habit of doing them Discord's on Twitter. Discord's hot right now. We did, we're doing them on, we're started, we started doing them for the Discord community, like Discord mm-hmm. first. It's a little, well, you know, it's a little, I, I would say, actually, like, it's always easy with sound. Uh, but like to, to introduce visuals is difficult. Like in Twitter, it's impossible. On Discord, it's possible, but we had some challenges. Yeah. Um, but but that, you know, that um, that ability to just sort of like w- the best things we've done is like, look, you've got you've got one of the co-founders of this company and the co-founders of that company. Yeah. And they're just they're just jamming. Yeah. They, they get online. They they talk. That's it. And you get to just sit there and, and be so in the room. One it's, of, yeah, one it's of the like things. It's, yeah, that's it's great. great. And we've not only we've not only seen really great audience engagement on that. Like, you know, as a content person, I've seen like great content come out of those conversations. Like we've we've seen the spark of ideas that have turned into, you know, uh, entire blog posts and and whatnot out of those. So, uh, I, I do believe in that format. I feel like the podcast is like a little more controlled because it's recorded and then edited and then published right it's nice to do it live fuck it right? yeah no, like fuck it let's do it live do it live so i you know as as people can you know they they see like there's not hopefully you experience this as a listener there's not a lot of cuts in these podcasts and actually one of the other reasons that i started Boston, you're gonna cut. You're gonna cut the hell out of this one, though. Oh, we're gonna cut. We are. We're definitely gonna cut. We're definitely, definitely gonna cut some this points one. that I'm gonna actually well, follow yeah. up with you, like within yeah. five minutes yeah. after we close this about that I want you to cut that yeah. I said. Yeah, yeah. Cut this out. <laughs> cut this out. By the way, yeah, you, you take this whiskey home. Oh, okay. Well, there's like there's like yeah. only a third of the bottle. That's it. That's actually remarkable. What has if, happened? If folks could see this. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I do this thing. I just I just turned 37 last week, and uh, I go on a. I go on a I go on a walkabout. Oh, I spent some time in Australia. I know why. I don't know about walkabouts. Okay. Um, so I went on a walkabout. I told my daughter, she was home because last week we had to, we were gonna she do this said. last week and and COVID was in my house. So I was like, you know, oh. you've never seen a happier kid with COVID. M- Mila was like, I have COVID. I have COVID. Like she had like a hundred and two point five fever and like wow. she's my kid. So she's just like a happy dude. She's just like, all right, like. She's like, what's up, dude? Like, let's have a party. And I'm like, you have COVID and 103 fever. And she's like, I feel awesome. I'm like, never change. That was not how I felt when I had COVID. Never change. Awesome was not the way I would describe it. You're amazing. Um, But when when I started, one of the, one of the, um, so one of the things I do on my birthday and I did it a couple years, like the couple years previous to starting Boston Speaks Up, I was going, I go through my notes. I take a lot of notes on my phone. Boston Speaks Up was this like moment. It was like three in the morning. Elizabeth, I woke my wife up. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, <laughs> I got it. Like, this is what I'm doing. And so like, you know, I, I looked, I had been looking at, all, so I just had a birthday and I looked at all the notes that I had. Cause it was like April of like 2018. Shortly after that, it hit me. And I just reviewed all these notes over the last decade. So I did a decade long view of just all these notes. And 
one thing that kept coming up was like, for me, some of the, the, the beauty in life lies in like this, in the, in the art of just authentic dialogue and Mm -hmm. conversation. And so for me, I want to be a facilitator of a participant in very present conversation with people from all walks for the rest of my life. You know what you should do? You should do a, you should do a Boston speaks up where it's, where, where it's two totally different people. Fuck yeah. Right? You should yeah. do Boston Speaks Up where somebody, you know, somebody maybe you've had on as a guest. Yeah. yeah. Right? And somebody new Talk, maybe. Yeah. Gets you to guys be, should meet, right, but yeah. do it live. You do the host, yeah. do it live. Yeah. yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. That's, I mean, <laughs> listen, I'm, at this point, it's getting yeah. it's getting to the point where like a lot of the... A lot that's, of not, people, that's not what podcasts do. No. I, <laughs> is that right? and, you know what I like to do? I feel like the podcast format is like sometimes very, very much too polished. I like, you know, the, yeah. The, the, the intro is. music, the, yeah. the voice, the vibe. And I, I don't know. I mean, like, that's cool. Like, people respond to that. Like, I, I respond to that. Like, don't get me wrong. Actually, I'm not really a podcast listener. voracious reader i tried to be a podcast listener and i'm like you know what this is cool but it's not for me yeah okay so let's just let's just i'm sorry yeah well listen (laughs) don't listen to this podcast so So shut up don't listen to anything i say right (laughs) i have no perspective on podcasts but i do think a lot of them are very polished and it would be nice to see something that's a little more yeah uh, you know off the cuff raw yeah and like listen like do I think Axelar should sponsor the Brooksy podcast? No, no, absolutely. But not. do I want do I want Axelar or any company listening to view the Boston Speaks Up platform as and just me personally as someone to hit up to try to deploy to launch a podcast like Dan Rosignal just did? Oh yeah, yeah right, absolutely. Like I I want to find ways to bring because what like i do like podcasts but the podcast that i find i i poke around and then yeah. when i when i find a podcast i like it's you know and like he's controversial but like joe rogan interviewing elon musk while elon musk is taking bong rips it was he's smoking a joint right a spleef or something he's smoking weed okay yeah, I thought I thought he might have taken a long rip, but uh, maybe, maybe I'm yeah. wrong about that. I, th- yeah. I was just looking at the meme the other day. He's got like a big cone. I'm pretty sure. Sh- yeah. Well, so <laughs> regardless of the mechanism through which Elon Musk got ripped that day on the Joe Rogan or, podcast, or any day. what I like about what I, my personal love of podcasting involves a type of podcast that is less produced. Mm. I'm with you on that. I mean, you know what would be cool would be if, like, we brought in clips. Yeah. You know, like, hey, you know, podcasts we like, listen to a little bit, riff. Yeah. You know, like, that'd be that'd be interesting. Like, Ooh. play the recording. Ooh, yeah. You got a little sample yeah. of another podcast, yeah. and we, like, you know, kind of yeah. participating in the conversation, carrying yeah. it forward like that. That might be interesting. I like that. I the other thing I don't I've know been, anything about podcasts. So the other thing sure. I've been thinking about doing, I've been kind of sharing this idea with uh, Doug Banks, who's the editor-in-chief of yeah. Boston Business Journal. Doug Banks yeah. hired me in 2008. At, at Mass, Mass High, High Tech? Tech. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah. Taking him back. There you the go. School. Big That's the Doug Banks. Back in the day buffet. Right. Yeah, I've been saying for Doug, Doug Banks. I would love to have a conversation live that just so happens to be a podcast discussion because I think mm-hmm. like really well like designed. So to your point about like 
there's a there's different like pools and groups of people that I've had on BSU that would benefit from being like two, three, four folks like quote unquote panel to put it in events. Yeah, yeah. That would be a good conversation. And I've said to Doug, I'm like, Doug, like we should create like the BSU like podcast series yeah, yeah, yeah. and do it, li- do it as a live event, sell some tickets and just have it be a live first I've seen, event. I've seen podcasts do that. You know, the, the one actually that I attended that was like that was, um, uh, was, uh, Meltem to mirrors. Um, yeah, the the what grinds my gears podcast, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, that there's a crypto podcast, and they did one live at a <laughs> at an event sponsored by uh, I forget who. Uh, this is like it all feels so long ago now. <laughs> <laughs> this is like before. I mean, I don't know. Like events have changed. Yeah. I don't know. Office space has changed. I don't know. Like we've been talking about, like how how do we fix like broken content? How do we fix broken capital markets? Like I feel like also there's this looming question of how do we fix broken physical spaces? And and no place is more relevant than you know the offices of Silicon Valley Bank right now. It's like, yeah. uh, I mean, granted, oh, like a, I, you know a warm a warm Friday afternoon in April, I wouldn't expect it to be the most lively place in the no. world. Right, the offices of a bank in downtown Boston. Right, it's uh, it's yeah. uh, what is it? Right, it's uh, it's lend it, lend it. Uh, what is it? It's lend it at, at at four, borrow at three, golf at five. Oh, <laughs> right, it's, uh, yeah. You know, but uh, did I did I get those numbers right? Um, but but the I don't know, like the the whole kind of office space cataclysm which is really only just coming down now, right? These yeah. leases are only are, are yeah. expiring. Yeah. And what does that mean? What does that mean for Boston? Yeah. What does it mean I, to be in business in Boston when and when when there's a million vacant uh, square feet of office space in the downtown? When there's vacant spaces or if you're someone that has a lease that's going a bit longer. So I, I actually did a piece on this recently for Built In yeah. where I advocate for uh, the bring the friend to work policy. I think that if, you know, I was thinking about SVB, I was thinking about Fidelity, who had WeWork design their whole office space. Yeah. And it's really difficult right now to get people back into the office. So I would I would advocate yeah. for, and a lot of people in, like, during the wrong. pandemic. It's nice to be down here with you. It's nice to be in the downtown. It's nice to be here, but there's a lot of there's a lot of after this and get some Easter candy for my kids. But like, most days I, you know, yeah. I'd rather, I honestly, like I'd rather work from the co-working space in JP or from my own house. I like working from home and that's, yeah. that's definitely the route to go. And a lot of people have gone the route that I've been in for over 10 years, which is like the entrepreneurial work from home. Yeah. I'm a nomad route. I've been doing that which since is, before COVID. Which is why so I think if you that. have a long-term lease on a space right now, in a place like Boston, I think you should have some interesting modern policies that and like SVB is super open to us yeah, being here totally. and whenever we want. And that's awesome. But even so, like that's not, you know, we're not using this space, you know, we're yeah. not like this, this space is not utilized. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I feel like you can nibble at the edges with stuff like that, yeah. but there's, there's still this, yeah. there's this, there's a lot of square feet down here. Yeah. And it's very nice. It's great to be up here looking out at the harbor. Yeah. You know, and up at the North Shore uh, and Charles. But um, 
I don't know. Yeah. What What is the future of all of this? And and, and I mean, like you know, well, okay. So for a lot of commercial landlords, that certainly matters. But I think it also matters for like the culture of a of a of a technology cluster. Like, what does it mean to be Boston Tech when everybody's working from home? It's going to be a fascinating next decade. I think by 2030, we're going to know the repercussions of it. I personally wouldn't be in commercial real estate in Boston these days, but I'm interested in helping commercial real estate companies that want to come up with with modern concepts to kind of deal with what is happening. I also know that Heather, who is the sort of office manager here for SVB, was Ready to rock and roll twenty minutes ago, so we, oh, we have oh. to we have to get out of here and let and let her begin her weekend as we should begin ours. Um, Zach, you you absolutely should have mentioned that to me twenty minutes ago. No, I was enjoying you feeling your Japanese oh, okay, whiskey, all right. man. Well, I'm yeah. I, thank you and um, thanks everybody for listening. This has been a uh, uh, a, uh, a, a topsy turvy episode of. Um, Boston Speaks Up. What podcast are we on again? Boston has has spoken down and up and from the other side of the of the divide here. Uh, so I'm I'm glad we were able to to do this. Uh, for those of you who joined, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> but I hope I hope we'll uh, we'll see you again next time. Love you, brother. Cheers, Boston.